Welcome to We All Go a Little Mad Sometimes, the true crime and assorted oddities podcast with your host, Punk Joe, where I have a face for podcast and a passion for true crime. Coming to you live on tape from the beautiful southeastern United States of America. I think we got us a pretty good show lined up for today. It's going to be a Halloween episode, even though this isn't really a story about Halloween, but it is about a monster. A monster in disguise when he committed his crimes, and a monster in disguise when he was just being a regular, ordinary citizen. So we're going to get things wound up, and being that it is Halloween, I think we're going to let Mr. Peterson tell us a little bit about Halloween. So go ahead and take it away, Mr. Peterson. Hey, boys and girls. This is Rupert Peterson, and today's word is Halloween, and we're going to learn a little bit about the history of Halloween. Okay, but keep it brief, Mr. Peterson. We have a lot to get to today. I'll I'll do my best, and we're going to tell some jokes, too. At the end of the show, yes, we're going to tell some jokes. I have spooky music today. Okay, then this is the quick history of Halloween. All Hallow's Eve, or Halloween, as it's commonly referred to, is a global celebration on October 31st. It developed from the ancient Celtic ritual of Samhain, which was, in the simplest of terms, a festival celebrating the changing of the seasons from light to dark, that summer to winter. This would usually take place around November the 1st. Traditionally, a bonfire would be lit and sweets would be prepared and costumes would be worn to ward off evil spirits as the ancient Celts believed that at this time of the year, the veil separating the two worlds of the living and the dead was at its thinnest or narrowest time. But the early Christian officials tried to impose their own holiday in an effort to stop their converts from practicing non-Christian festivals, and Pope Gregory III deemed November 1st All Saints Day, a celebration of Christian martyrs and saints, and November 2nd became All Souls Day, a day remembering the souls of the dead. And All Saints Day later became known as All Hallows Day. And the previous day, October 31st, became known as All Hallows Eve, then later Halloween. Despite the best efforts of the church, people still continue to celebrate Halloween with traditional bonfires, costumes, treats, and focus on spirits of the dead. Because of its association with all things dark, spooky, and undead, Halloween became the go-to holiday for the release of most horror films and television shows. In 1978, John Carpenter released Halloween, and that's probably the best example, as it changed the public image of the holiday from a night for children to dress up in silly costumes to a night of pure terror. And despite what Hollywood has done to Halloween, I think it's one of the most fun holidays of the year that we have and we get to celebrate and have fun with the kids and fun with our families. But we could do a whole episode alone on the history of Halloween, but that's the the short version of it. And I hope y'all have a happy Halloween. So now it's joke time, right? No, Mr. Peterson, we're going to do the jokes later on, but, but thanks for keeping the history of Halloween brief. 
Okay, I'll wait till later on in the show. So let's get on with the show. This episode takes us to the British Isle of Jersey. Taking a look at it on the Google, it's a real pretty little island. Nine miles by five miles, I think is what it was. Very clean, very pretty island. I don't see a KFC anywhere or Jersey Mike's. I did find a McDonald's. For you folks that live over there, that's not a good representation of American food, by the way. In fact, it's barely edible food. I see the Thai Dick Shack on the road in between the Normandy Hotel and the Whitehorse Pub. There's lots of pubs, lots of bistros, but I see lots of farms and cows. It's a real pretty place. The, the timeline on this takes us back to the 50s. And in the, in the 1950s, population of Jersey was about 30,000 folks living there. And this crime spree kind of came out of nowhere. It started in 1957. A nurse waiting for a bus. And a man walked up dressed in a long coat with a scarf covering his face. Hit her over the head. Tied a rope around her neck. And dragged her into a nearby field and assaulted her. Then the man attacked a 20-year-old in March 1957 who was walking home from the bus stop and used the same method with her, pulling her into a field by her neck and assaulting her. And then in July, he attacked a 31-year-old and then a 28-year-old in St. Martin's in October of 1959. After the attacks, the victim gave their statement to the police and they all pretty much had the same description of this guy. They all confirmed the man was about five foot six in his mid-40s and had a strange Irish accent that they believed to be fake. And then they also described him as having an unusual musty kind of smell to him. Not only was this guy a super creep, he smelled bad too. And the police all agreed that it was probably the same person doing all this. And uh, he soon became known as the Beast of Jersey. On February 14th, 1960, a boy, a 12-year-old boy, was, was taken from his house. And the same thing happened. The man took him to a field, assaulted him. He took him back home and kind of disappeared into the night. And then in March, uh, a lady was taken from a bus stop. And he told her, oh, I'm, I'm a doctor. I'm going to pick up my wife. You know, hop in the car, love. I'll take you wherever you want to go. And she got in the car with him. And he did the same thing to her. Took her to an open field, assaulted her, put her back in the car. And as they were driving away, she figured he was going to do her worse harm. And she jumped from the car. And once she was out of the car, she began to scream. I guess panicked by the noise the man took off in his car. It was never tracked down by law enforcement. So that was in March of 1960. And then later on that month, a 43-year-old woman and her 14-year-old daughter were asleep in their cottage in a remote part of the island. Uh, and the mother was awoken Sometime after midnight by the phone ringing, she got out of her bed and went downstairs to answer the phone, but there was nobody there. Assuming it was a, a wrong number, she just hung up the phone and went back upstairs to bed. A little while later, she was awoken again by a noise and went back downstairs to see what the noise was. And she had uh, turned the lights on so she could see what was going on. And when she got to the bottom of the stairs, the lights went out and realized that there was somebody in the living room with her. And she picked up the phone to call police, but the line was already dead. The phone line had been cut. So at this point, this guy comes at her, uh, demanding money, telling her he was going to kill her. And she struggled with the guy. And in the process of that, the daughter woke up and started coming downstairs. Seeing the young girl, the man let go of the woman 
and took off up the stairs after the younger girl and the mother took off out of the house and went to a neighbor's house and woke up the neighbor. By the time they came back to the cottage to catch the guy who was in the house, they had found the daughter alone and had been tied up and was assaulted, but still alive. So the neighbor must have lived some distance away for, for that to happen. So in April the same year, his targets seemed to turn to younger aged people, unfortunately. And he had broken into a 14-year-old girl's room. And she woke up and saw the, the creeper just staring at her. And she started screaming her head off. And he took off as her parents woke up. So in July of that same year, a young boy was abducted from his bedroom. And he was assaulted and, and later returned home. So at this point, he's gone from assaulting defenseless women out on the street, coming home from work or doing their thing, to uh, to breaking into houses and, and assaulting even more defenseless children. So in the words of the captain, he's a piece of shit. So at this point, the police said enough is enough. And they started fingerprinting everyone on the island. But they couldn't make everyone do it. But most did except for 13 men, and those 13 were now suspects. And our boy was one of them. However, they had focused their attention on an eccentric fisherman by the name of, and I'm going to screw this up because, well, I don't speak French. As you can tell, I can barely speak English. His name is Alphonse Le Gaste Lois. No, that's not it. Le Gaste Lois. How about if we just go with Alphonse? So Alphonse, the only evidence they had on this little five foot three eccentric was that uh, he was a little five foot three eccentric. Police said that he wore a dirty old raincoat with a rope tied around it and making him uh, relatively close plus or minus to the suspect's description. Eh. Whether they meant to or not, his name got out to the public as the Beast of Jersey. And of course, here comes the vigilante mob with their torches, I reckon. And he got together and they, well, they went and burned his house down. So he packed up his raincoat and moved to another island that I can also not pronounce because it's also French. Uh, Ecrio Reef, I guess is how it's pronounced. It's a little, little reef island just northeast of Jersey. And he lived there in isolation for the next 14 years in a hut with uh, no utilities at all. Was very skilled at catching lobsters and he ate seagull eggs and uh, seaweed which he preferred to seaweed over fish. Some reports uh, said he ate, also ate rabbits. But anyway, while Alphonse was uh, catching lobsters and eating seagull eggs, uh, the, the beast had continued on on the Isle of Jersey. In April 1961, three more children were assaulted by the foul-smelling, mask-wearing beast. You know, all the descriptions came back saying that the same thing. That he was, you know, five foot six, um... He wore a mask or wore a scarf, but they all said the same thing that he was, he was, he smelled bad, he had a musky smell, but they all, they all said the same thing. So at this point, Scotland Yard finally decided to get involved and they came up with a suspect profile. He said he was between 40 and 45 years old, five foot six, wearing either a mask or a scarf. He smelled bad and attacked between 10 PM and 3 AM. He invaded homes through bedroom windows and used a, a flashlight. It's a heck of a profile. It's pretty much what the victims had told police. So what they did was they, they rounded up the 13 people that wouldn't be fingerprinted, picked out the five foot six tall smelly guys, 
uh, checked her fingerprints against the evidence and caught the elusive beast of Jersey, right? Uh, no, that's not what happened at all. So after the Scotland Yard silliness, the beast went silent for two years. And between April and November 1963, he resurfaced and assaulted uh, four boys and girls that he had snatched from their bedrooms and then again disappeared for two more years. Sorry, I'm not getting into details on uh, the assault on on teenagers. So in 1966, uh, a letter arrived at the Jersey police station. Uh, he was kind of taunting the police, claiming that he committed the perfect crime and how incompetent the police were, stating also that there would be more victims. And the letter went something like this. My dear sir, I think it is just the time to tell you that you are just wasting your time. As every time, I have done what I always intended to do, and remember it will not stop at this. I will be fair to you and give you a chance. I have never had much out of this life, but I intend to get everything I can now. I have always wanted to do the perfect crime, and I have done this. But this time, let the moon shine very bright in September, because this time it must be perfect. Not one, but two. I am not a maniac by a long shot, but I like to play with you people. You will hear from me before September, and I will give you all the clues just to see if you can catch me. Yours very sincerely. Wait and see. So in August, a 15-year-old girl was snatched from her bedroom and assaulted and found covered in scratches. And the scratches were like equal equal size, you know, the width between the scratches were equal. And they were parallel on the person's body. And then the same thing happened to a 14-year-old boy in uh, August of 1970. And the boy told police that the man wore a mask. And then on the night of July the 10th, 1970, two police officers making their normal rounds stopped at a traffic light in the St. Hillier district. Um, they had observed a Morris car running a red light. So the police took off after the driver who was desperately trying to get away to the point where he was hopping curves and going the wrong way on roads and hitting other cars. And then he went through some hedges and ended up in the tomato field. Then he ditched his little beat up Morris and took off on foot but then uh, was soon tackled by the officers. They had him cuffed up, put him in the police car, and they were taking him back to the police station. And uh, they were kind of like, hey, man, do you, do you smell something? This guy kind of stinks. So when they got him back to the police station under better lighting conditions, they noticed he was wearing a musty, long, dark coat with inch-long nails sticking out of the collar, cuffs, and shoulders. They also found in his pocket a flashlight. The flashlight, the lens was taped up, so only a small beam of light was produced with the flashlight. And if that wasn't creepy enough, when they looked through his little Morris car, they found a spiky black wig and a disturbing homemade face mask, as well as two pieces of cord, a wool cap, duct tape, pretty much in a abduction kit. And the mask, that it looked like it had molten skin. You can, you can see it on the episode picture. It's really creepy. And the man, claimed, the man claimed he was on his way to a, to an orgy and uh, didn't want to be recognized. 
And uh, so he was on his way to this party in, in a stolen car uh, with a bunch of creepy, smelly costumes and uh, face masks. He was remanded into custody. So after all this time, who was the beast of Jersey? Who was smarter than Scotland Yard? His name was Edward Paisnell. He was born uh, 1925. He was 46 years old. He was a family man with a wife and children. He was a contractor from a family of means with no criminal record except uh, during World War II. He was caught stealing food to give to starving families. And he also played Santa Claus at Christmas parties at a children's home where his wife worked. At this time, the police went to uh, Paisnell's house to do further investigations. And what they found a locked room within his bedroom, which contained not only the same musty aroma that was attached to his clothes, which contained not only the same musty aroma that had attached itself to Paisnell, but contained old clothing, homemade wigs with uh, matching eyebrows. <laughs> they discovered a, a camera as well. And when they developed a film of the camera, it, it showed photos of houses all across the island, which he told police he had chose his victims years in advance, and he knew specific details about the houses and the families. And if all that wasn't enough, they found a shrine to Satan, an altar, and an extensive collection of books about the black magic and the occult, all of which is incredibly disturbing given his access to uh, children in the children's foster home where his wife was employed. So on November 29, 1971, it took a jury 38 minutes to find him guilty of 13 counts of rape, indecent assault, and sodomy. He was sentenced to 30 years in the Winchester prison in the UK, but was released after 20 years because he was a good boy in prison, in which he tried to move back to Jersey, but the folks on the island were like, eh, no. So he went to the Isle of uh, Wight and died three years later in 1994 of a heart attack or heart failure or something. You know, a couple of things actually come to mind here. One, given the time frame of the crimes, I would say probably less than half were reported to police, not to mention what could have happened at the children's home. And he did use things to throw the police off, like he used a fake Irish accent, which some of the earlier women in the episode said they, they thought it was for sure fake. And he would casually mention to him that he forgot his cigarettes to a victim or leave a pack at the scene, but he didn't smoke. So he was trying to throw him off with different things like that. And the other thing was that his, his wife wrote a book, The Beast of Jersey. And, you know, she had to know, I feel like she had to know something was up. You know, a lot of a lot of wives of these serial killers and don't always know what's really happening. But, I mean, he had a weird stuff going on in his bedroom. I mean, she had to think of something. And she did say, she did tell him that their sex life was um, almost non-existent. I mean, who knows? Maybe she's completely innocent in the whole thing. I don't know. And then later on, they kind of determined that the smell he was using was intentional. And it would throw dogs off of his scent, or so he thought. You know, he's a seemingly normal guy uh, without any baggage. But he had some dark demons living in there. He worshipped uh, Jildy Ray who was hung in France in the 1400s for uh, killing over 200 children. You know, he had a lot of books on that in the occult, and telling me his wife didn't just thought it was casual reading. I mean, I don't know. I guess I can't really say anything. If you ever saw my library, a couple years ago, one of my kids gave me a, a book called The Encyclopedia of Serial Killers. So I guess maybe my library is no different than his. I don't know. So in 1975, we'll go back to uh, our buddy Alphonse, whose last name I can't pronounce. 
you know, he's living on a little island there northeast of uh, Jersey, eating seaweed and seagull eggs. And he was later accused of another crime of, of burning down a really nice hut of, um, she was somebody of importance and uh, it had utilities and everything. So they scooped up Alphonse and his raincoat and took him back to Jersey where he stood trial for arson. And it took a jury just a few minutes to render him completely innocent of the charges, who I believe is actually an, a vict another victim of the beast of Jersey. I mean, this guy, all he wanted to do was be left alone, He'd do his fishing and and to be left alone and he he just he exiled himself to a whole nother island and there he was accused of something because he was different uh, brought back to jersey for the trial and which you know 1975 and he ended up staying there until his death in 2012 at the age of 97. so that's pretty much sums up the story of uh the beast of jersey We don't really have any news stories today, but I do have kind of a cool thing that I found. Another new discovery. And uh, just in time for Halloween, it is the terrifying vampire wasp discovered in the Amazon. They sting, suck blood, and eat their prey from the inside out. And just in time for Halloween, the scientists in South America have discovered a new species of wasp that stings sucks blood and otherwise feasts on their prey from the inside out by depositing larvae under the victim's skin. Researchers came across these uh, vampiric vespids while hard at work in the National Reserve. Uh, there's no way I'm going to be able to pronounce this right. Alpayu Mishana in the Peruvian Amazon. I imagine I butchered that. And this, this place here is often described as the most biodiverse rainforest in the world. And this creepy bright yellow little wasp can grow up to seven tenths of an inch and has an abnormally large head, which uh, that's kind of where its name came from, Capitajapa Amazonica. Capito meaning Spanish nickname for somebody with a big head. But the good news is, however, humans aren't high on the list of living beings likely to fall prey to the creature. Caterpillars, beetles, and spiders appear to be their preferred prey. And once the host is located and mounted, the female will frantically stroke it with her antenna. And uh, if she finds it acceptable, the female will deposit a single egg inside the host by piercing it with her, her with her ovipositor. It's like a, a tube that the, lays eggs through. And the eggs typically hatch after a few days. And the offspring will continue to develop inside their host, only emerging once they have grown into a fully formed adult wasp. So there you go, just in time for Halloween, the discovery of the vampire wasp. Okay, so Mr. Peterson's been patiently waiting for this. He loves to tell some jokes. So let's let him tell some jokes. Is it joke time now, Poncho? Yes, it is, so let him rip. Yeah, this is going to be my favorite part of the year. I love Halloween, and I love Halloween jokes. All right, bring them on. Okay, so let's get on with the jokes then. What monster plays tricks on Halloween? Oh, do tell. Frankenstein. That's funny. What do you call a fat pumpkin? A plumpkin. Okay, that was kind of funny. Where do deviled eggs come from? Tell me. Evil hands. 
What does a skeleton bring to a barbecue? Spare ribs. Really? Why are monsters so into astrology? I have no idea. They love reading their horoscopes. <laughs> get it? Horoscopes. Yeah, I get it. You must have got all these out of the dad joke book. What's in a ghost's nose? Boogers. Oh, Lord. Well, that's pretty much the Halloween show. Wait, wait a minute, Poncho. Don't you cut me off. It's kind of interesting. I'm not done yet. I still have two more pages of jokes yet. That a creepy guy with the mask. Wait, wait, wait. Some black don't, magic. Don't shut me. Don't cut me off. Vampire Poncho, wasp. Please don't cut. And some really bad jokes. But I thank you all for listening. Hope you all have a great Halloween. Have some fun with your kids. And uh, you dads out there, hit pause on the game and read to your kids for 15 minutes. It'll mean the world to them. Talk to you all soon.